Grace and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, by the presence of his Holy Spirit among us, within every single believer, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Uh, we begrudgingly stopped, uh, finished up with the, the story, we didn't finish the story, we're right smack in the middle of it, right? So setting the scene, Jesus has a family that he loves and has been very dear and near to him. They provided housing for him on many occasions because they live in Bethany, just two miles outside of Jerusalem. His family is made up of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, uh, two sisters and a brother. Lazarus gets suddenly, uh, desperately sick. They send word to Jesus, come quickly and, and heal him, he's going to die. And Jesus says, you know, wait two days. So they waited. In the meantime, Lazarus died. And Jesus got there within four days because they fasted. We learned lots of really cool, deep, wonderful things last Sunday if you had I didn't get a chance. I encourage you to go back and watch that online. So we're going to pick it up this morning. I just want to submit to you. Jesus said about this event, as it began to unfold, just as it began, Jesus said, this whole thing is happening to Lazarus so my father can be glorified and so my father can glorify me. So keep that in mind. That's number job number one Jesus wants to accomplish in the situation is to glorify God, his father, and for God the Father to glorify himself. Let's see if that happens. So Martha's been encouraged and strengthened by a conversation with Jesus. And uh, Jesus has been talking about life and resurrection. Those are uplifting things, right, when you're grieving for a lost one. Um, so she rushes home to get married, picking it up at John chapter 11, verse 25. I'll just pick up the tail end of the conversation from last week. So Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And say it with me. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then this piercing, powerful, direct, uh, one of the most important questions you could ever be asked. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, I want to submit something to you here. We're going to see God the Father glorify Jesus. We're going to see Jesus glorify the Father. We're also going to see two amazing, uh, complete expressions of who Christ Jesus is. When Jesus talked about himself, what name did he use for himself almost every single time? He called himself Son of Man. Gospels more, people. It should be right there. Okay? Read the Gospels more. Jesus called himself Son of Man. Why did he emphasize his humanity? Because being God was pretty obvious. Amen? Was he Son of Son of God? For sure. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. So conceived unlike any other person ever has been. So it's pretty clear that he was son of God. He's doing all these miracles. He eventually rises from the grave himself. Obviously, he's son of God, as Martha declares to him here. But Jesus had to emphasize over and over, I am also son of man. I'm a 100% human being. We're going to see that today, both of these, in powerful fashion. So this is an amazing passage, um, amazing story. So much is coming to uh, cataclysmic, wonderful uh, top end in this gospel. John records seven, five plus two, seven miracles in the gospel. This is number seven. 
So we know that we're going from here to the cross and the empty tomb. This must be a big deal. It is. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, one-on-one, the teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him, so out in the countryside somewhere. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So we, we get a um, clear picture that Mary and Martha were both grieving, seriously grieving. Mary seems to have been taking it at, still at a more personal, powerful, um, almost debilitating level. Martha went out to meet Jesus. Mary uh, wasn't able to even get up out of the chair and go out to meet him. She stayed home until Jesus called for her specifically. Verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. That's where we saw her before, right? Listening at his feet. She fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, the deeply moved and the greatly troubled, they're, they're a little tricky to translate into English for us. The first, as, I, as I'm reading in English and I see that, I think, oh, he's really sad, he's grieved, and so forth with them. That, that's probably a part of it, but the words are normally used. So the first one, deeply moved normally is describing uh, an anger for, for someone who's angry, deeply moved with anger. He was deeply moved with anger in his spirit and greatly troubled. That word usually describes someone who's agitated, you know, upset with how something is and, and wanting to fix it, agitated. So Jesus' initial emotional response to the situation, the grief and the weeping of, of, of Mary and everyone around her is what? Why, why would Jesus be angry? Why would he be agitated? Well, the God who is resurrection, the God who created life and sustains it and maintains it and continues to give it, that God is surrounded by uh, the, the worst possible outcomes of sin and death, the grief and all the sorrow that goes with it. And Jesus, in the moment, what would he love to do in that moment? Shazam, fix it all. Everybody say glory. Glory. And he will. There will be a day. There will be a moment. It's not yet. But in this moment, he's surrounded by it in the intensity. He's feeling it personally himself as he loves Lazarus, right? And Lazarus is in the tomb. So he's feeling it. The Son of Man is feeling it with intensity that you and I feel it. But the Son of God is, oh, I'm going to fix this now. He's not angry at the people. He's angry at what sin has done to us and what we allow it to do in our lives. He's agitated because he wants to fix it now, I believe. Verse 34, Jesus said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Now your favorite memory verse and confirmation. Say with me. Jesus wept. Could translate it, Jesus burst into tears. That's a little different, isn't it? This is Son of Man, the 100% on display. 
So when you and I are grieving, watching loved ones sometimes decline or go through pain, suffering difficulties, when we're there for the funeral, all that kind of stuff, when we're grieving, when we're sorrowful, we're feeling the loss and all those things, is God kind of like, oh, you know, whatever. God experiences it thousands, hundreds of thousands of times a day because he cares about every person on the planet. But I want you to just emphasize to you, do the God we know in Scripture, does that God, is he distant, uncaring, just letting the grinding gears of sin and death and stuff go on until the trumpet blows? He feels it passionately right along with you and me. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, burst into tears. So if that's the only memory verse you got, uh, I'd like you to add on. But it's a great one. Jesus burst into tears. I don't know any other God on the planet like that. Mom would ever burst into tears for you? Who would ever burst into tears for you? Don't get me started. This is the God I want to know. Jesus burst into tears. He wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved me. Were they authentic tears or were they crocodile tears? Those were real. These were even opponents that wow. Some of them said, there's some in every crowd, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? I put in the margin, sure. Chose not to. We haven't gotten the end of the story yet, amen? Amen. Then Jesus, deeply moved, same words for angry, comes back to the, oh, I want to fix this. Jesus, deeply moved with anger again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, now I'm guessing she's the older sister. Uh, Mom and dad must be long gone in the family. So since Lazarus has passed, uh, if you want to remove the stone from the family tomb and he's been there four days, that's a decision. We're going to the eldest sibling, right? And it's Martha's decision. So Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha, who has to make the decision whether to move the stone or not, the sister of the dead man said to the Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? I admit, you're in Martha's sandals. You're like, well, yeah. I remember that conversation. It was just a few minutes ago. But... So it's a faith step for Martha to let them remove the stone, right? It's going to be stinky. That's going to be just, you know, we're trying to honor his passing, honor his memory, all those things. This doesn't seem right as a family thing to do. She takes a step of faith and apparently gives them permission to go ahead and move the stone. So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes. Okay, remember what he said about this event? We're going to glorify God the Father, and then the Father's going to glorify me. Here we go. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, said this out loud, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. What, what good tense is that? Heard. Past, present, future. Past. It's a past mixed in with right now. 
He's already been in conversation with the Father about this, right? Isn't that, say, isn't that cool? Just say glory. glory. He's already been in conversation with the Father. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I Say this with me. I, I knew, knew that, that you, you always hear me. He, somebody here needs to know that this morning. He always He never turns a deaf ear. He never doesn't care. He always hears you. Jesus says, I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Go back to chapter 10. Look at what was the whole debate with all the religious leaders. The whole debate was about Jesus saying, God the Father, who you claim to know, sent me. And all my miracles and my preaching declares that fact. You got to receive me or you don't have the say it, Father. Jesus says, You got to have me or you don't have the Father. So he's, so he's, God is doing this whole thing to help the people believe, even chief priests, even Sadducees, even Pharisees, to help them to believe. So he says out loud, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I hear that you always hear me, but these people need to know that, that you're real, you're my Father, and you sent me. I said this in the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! translate that. Lazarus, come this way. Why would Lazarus need Jesus to say, come this way? John's going to tell us. The man who had died came out. And he's coming out of tombs, people. His hands and feet bound with linen strips. His face wrapped with a cloth, just like Jesus will be in a few days. Why did Jesus need to say, Lazarus, come this way? He couldn't see where he was going. His face was covered with a wrapped cloth. So Jesus says, come to the sound of my voice. Lazarus, say it with me. Lazarus, come this way. Imagine the people, he comes walking out of the tombs. I mean, we've seen the mummy movies, right? Who, who, who hasn't seen a mummy movie? Okay, everybody has. Find her an animated kid film or something. Pretty close. But he ain't a mummy. He's alive. But he comes, he's all wrapped up like a mummy. The man who died came out. His hands and feet bound from the strips. His face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, say it with me out loud. Unbind him and, and let, let him go. go. Has the Father just been glorified? Who did Jesus give credit to for this miracle? Has the Father glorified the Son? Jesus stepped out in faith and he said in front of the whole crowd, Lazarus, follow my voice. Come to me. They've both been glorified. Has the, Jesus said elsewhere in this story that he wanted to build the faith of the disciples. Has their faith come up to a new level? Is there anything the Lord cannot do? Is there any force on earth, including death and putrefaction itself, that Jesus, that God can't fix? This is the glory of God. 
Father and Son glorifying each other. It's, it's physical, historical, wonderful, radical truth. As we go forward, we'll see more evidence. People were like, Let's go have breakfast with Lazarus. I hear he came back from the dead. I just want to check him out. So people are poking him. Like, are you real? Are you alive? Are you the real deal? And the chief priests, what do they start doing? They must have a subcommittee for plotting murder. The chief priests have a subcommittee. This is a joke, people. It's not funny. The chief priests had a subcommittee for plotting murder. They've been working hard on, on murdering Jesus. Now who do they add to their murder pool? They, were, they literally started plotting how to kill Lazarus. Because he was a blow-your-mind evidence that Jesus is the real deal. So he's a marked man. You know, when the chief priests want to kill you, you're having a bad day. Mm. But I want to bring this home, this message to you and me, uh, in a different way today. It's rock-solid, historical, biblical, it happened truth. Does God often, maybe almost always, pull spiritual truths out of things he does in the natural? So what do you do in the natural? He took a man who was dead and bound up captive and brought him to life and turned him loose. Okay, let's think about that again. He took a man who was dead and bound up captive, made him alive and turned him loose. Spiritually, what's that mean for me and you? Romans chapter 7, verse 21. Paul writes about it this way. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Everybody say, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I want to do what's right. I do. I love Jesus. I love God. I want to make make a difference in the world. I want to do what's right. Ah, evil is really always close at hand. Even thoughts, not even just actions. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members the parts of my body, another law, waging war against the law of my mind, making me what? Captive. Captive. Making me what? Captive. Captive. Bound up captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Verse 24, we sing Amazing Grace, right? Saved a wretch like me. Well, you know, I'm really not that bad. Do you ever think that? (laughs) You're wrong. Mm. Paul says, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Say with me through Jesus Jesus Christ Christ our our Lord. Lord. So bound up in sin, captive to sin, cannot free myself. I'm a wretched human being. I want to do what's right, but so often I choose the evil that's laying close at hand. He says, who in the world can help me from this body of death? He says, there's only one. Jesus Christ, risen, ascended, coming again, came. He's the only one. Now go back, so you can go even deeper, even those previous chapter, Romans chapter 6. Pick it up, verse 1. So what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, say with me, we too might walk in newness of life. What's Lazarus walking in right now? He's walking in newness of life. Does he have a different perspective on life right now, you think? Mm -hmm. So 
too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have been united with Christ in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Ooh, say that with me. So, so that, that we, we would no, no longer be enslaved to sin. The result of sin is death. The slavery of it is like grave clothes, linens wrapped around us. He couldn't even see. They had a face cloth over his face. Verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Say it with me. Once for all. He did it for you. Are you part of all? Once for all? Okay, now I want you to say, he died for me. He died for me. You're part of the all. The life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus one of the verses that helps me. I'm going to admit to you, I don't conquer sin all the time. When I do, this is one of the verses that helps me. Sometimes in the moment, I'm, I'm able to say, you know what, I'm, I'm dead to that sin. I'm dead to it. I'm alive to Christ. I'm going to do like we did in the BBS song. I'm going to turn and walk away from sin. Turn, I'm going to walk away. Because I'm dead to it. I'm alive in Christ. So verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought forth from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Okay, do verse 14 with me. This is it. For, For sin, sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Sin will have no dominion over you. So I want you to, want you to think about something. Was Lazarus in the tomb going, Jesus over here, pick me, pick me. No, he was dead. Amen? Amen. Okay. So when we're we're dead in our sins, we're wrapped up in captivity to it. We we probably we may not be even asking for help. You know some people who are really enjoying their sin and they aren't asking for help to get out of it. You ever experienced that yourself? Come on, be real. You don't have to raise a hand, but I know I know what you want to think. Here's the deal. Jesus speaks to the dead. Those who are bound up in sin and bound up in death. Jesus speaks to him, and what does he say? He says, Lazarus, come this way. Insert your name. And I can start rattling off names here. Insert your name, and Jesus is saying, come this way. And as Lazarus, in obedience, steps towards Jesus, stepped away from death, 
step towards a life, step towards freedom, what did Jesus say to the people around him? Take off those grave clothes and let him go. Okay? What can you and I do for each other? I got my own problems with sin. Don't you be tightening up the screws on my bandages. All right? You got people around you who are bound up in sin, and it's killing them, and it's wrecking their lives. Jesus is calling them, and sometimes they hear his voice, and sometimes they step to the front of the tomb. And you know what they need? They need people like you and me to come alongside them and say, let me help you with this. That's deadly, stinky stuff. And I've had it on me. Let's get that off of me. Let's come over here to Jesus. Because he's going to give you a new life. If you keep on coming to him and following him, and you'll have more victories than you have defeats. And you'll have the knowledge of forgiveness of your sin, and the washing and the cleansing of it. How good does it feel to be clean of the dead bandages that cling to us? Say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay? Help people out. Help them take those strips off. Come alongside them and say, you know what? I was there last week. Here's what Jesus did for me. He's doing it for you now. Just, just hear this, people. Jesus is saying to you, come this way. Say it with me. Come, come this, this way. way. Jesus, we're coming to you. We're running, and maybe the maybe the grave clothes are wrapped around our feet, and all we can do is hop. But we're hopping. We're coming your way. Jesus, take off the grave clothes. Help those around us to, to help us. Take them off. God, we're stepping into freedom. We're stepping into new life. We're stepping into victory over sin. And yeah, God, we need that victory every single day. But Jesus, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Break bondages to sin. Call, cause the, the scales to fall off of our eyes. Help us to see our sin. But even more importantly than that, to see you calling us forth, saying, come to me. Follow the sound of my voice. Because I have life, forgiveness, and cleansing, salvation, and joy, and victory for you. Come this way. Lord Jesus, we're coming right now. We're all going to say glory, hallelujah together. Jesus, we're coming right now. Say it. Glory, glory hallelujah. hallelujah. Stand up with me. We're going to sing. Lead on, the King Eternal. He says, come this way. He's leading. All we got to do is follow. Amen? Amen. Lord bless you, keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and his peace and his voice always calling, come this way. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.